Good morning. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at two scripture passages um, today. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the pews just in front of you. Um, And so our scriptures are found in Romans and 1 Corinthians. And so our first scripture passage is on page 1007. So Romans 12. Verses 4 to 8, and then 1 Corinthians on 1019, and that's 12 12 to 27. So Romans 12. Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. And First Corinthians... Corinthians 12, 12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, but I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is... But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable we clothe these with great honor. And our respectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jessica. My name's Kevin. It's my uh, call this morning to bring the teaching uh, based on scripture. 
we began last week a sermon series we are calling simply The Church. We're, we're looking at what is the church and therefore what are we called to be on about? What, are to be, what is to characterize God's church? What, is to, what should we ought to prioritize because of who he has made us to be? God's action always comes first, that he has made us a people as we saw last week. And there's a continuity with God's people throughout all history um, into the present. Sometimes we think about the church as being uh, originated, as, as being birthed in uh, the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Um, and, and there's some truth to that. And though last week we saw how there is a continuity between all of God's people throughout history, through all times, um, and, and into the present. <clears throat> The book of Acts um, is written by a man named Dr. Luke. Luke was a medical doctor um, who uh, accompanied the Apostle Paul on many of his missionary journeys and was an early follower of Jesus. And uh, uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts, but he also wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is an account, uh, an orderly account of Jesus' life uh, and ministry as he walked the earth. And he he follows it up. It's the sequel, if you will, is the book of Acts. And he follows it up with an interesting introduction. And, and he wrote both books to uh, a person who may or may not be real, but whose name is he calls Theophilus. And he says, at the beginning of Acts, he says, I, I wrote to you another account of all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's referring to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is, according to Luke, an account of all that Jesus began to do and teach. But Jesus, the Gospel of Luke, includes the birth of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven. Like, it's his whole life on earth. And yet he says... It's only, about, it's only the beginning of all that Jesus has done. And then he goes on, and now in the, gospel, in the book of Acts, describes all that Jesus continues to do and teach through his people, through his church. There's another strange interaction in the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter 9, and we're introduced to a man named Saul. Saul was a Pharisee, a religious leader, a teacher, uh, uh, someone in the, the upper class, the elite in the religious system of Israel, and, uh, and earlier Paul had um, had grown greatly um, oppressive of followers of Jesus. He was present at com- uh, and gave consent to the stoning of Stephen, one of the one of the early deacons of the church, who preached a, a powerful gospel message and uh, de- describing the really the, the people of God throughout history and how Jesus is the, is, the, uh, is the culmination of that, the fulfillment of Israel, and now God is, is calling all nations through Jesus to join the people of God. And, and uh, the religious elite, the establishment, hated that message, and they stoned Stephen to death. Saul was there. And Saul began to... to uh, to take the early Christians and to, to beat them, to throw them in prison, was oppressing them, and was on his way to uh, the city of Damascus because Christians then began to scatter away from the epicenter of Jerusalem. They began to scatter around the, the nearby uh, cities and nations, 
And so he's on his way to Damascus to find more Christians in order to beat them, to, to potentially kill them and imprison them. And on the way, we know this, the Damascus Road, you, you, you're, you may be familiar with this, there's a light that shines down. Saul, the persecutor, is, the, goes down to his knees, and there's a voice from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? And to remove any confusion, this voice from heaven says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. But was Saul persecuting Jesus? Jesus was not on the scene. Jesus was not even there. These are just little hints to the New Testament teaching that there is such an intertwined reality between Jesus and his church that when you persecute Jesus, or when you persecute Jesus' church, you are persecuting Jesus. That when the church does something and teaches something, it is Jesus who is doing and teaching. That we are, as the New Testament would say, and one of the primary metaphors as what the church is, we are the body of Christ. The New Testament, again, uses this language, this picture, uh, many, many times. We are, the church is, the body of Christ. For example, Ephesians chapter 1 that it says God has appointed him, that is Jesus, as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Or Colossians 1.18, that he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. The church is the body of Christ, and Jesus is its head. And as head, Jesus is our source of life. If, if, if one of our body parts gets detached in some way from our, from our body, that body part will die. But so long as you have your head and a few other vital organs, we will live. Like the vine. We're not, using the, we're not actually delving into this metaphor in this series, but chose it as the kind of the, the picture it comes from John 15 where Jesus says I'm the vine you are the branches the life of Jesus as, we, as long as we remain connected to the source of life life of the vine will flow through us he's our head he is the source of our life he's the source of our instruction and strength and wisdom and vitality he is our leader and we are secure in him our head He's a representative. Charles Spurgeon famously said, so long as the head is above water, that you can't drown the foot. Right? Because he lives, we also will live. So what does it mean when we say that the church is the body of Christ? We're going to take from these two scriptures that uh, Jessica's read for us, as well as a few others, 
and try to summarize what, what is the New Testament teaching? What does it want us to pay attention? What does God want us to pay attention to when it says that you are the body of Christ, that Christ is our head and we are his body here on earth? Well, one of the themes that emerges in all of these passages is one of unity. It means unity. For example, 1 Corinthians 12, just listen again to these first couple of verses that we've already read. Just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Two verses, five times the word one. We are, we are one. To mean that we are the body of Christ, is one of the, the themes that we have to pay attention to is the unity, that we are one, that we are not disconnected, that we are members of a greater whole. A body is a unit or it is nothing. A body functions as a unit or it doesn't function at all. To, to say that we are the body of Christ means that we are bound together, that we are connected vitally connected to one another and that to disconnect from that body is to suffer death it means that our choices affect one another that your choices have a a ripple effect that go beyond you that your choices affect all of us the unity in the body of christ in many of these passages talks also about a removal of all hierarchies a, remove, a, a tearing down of barriers and dividing lines. For example, Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, Saul the persecutor, who becomes a follower of Jesus, writes, make, I urge you to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. So again, he's talking about the unity of the Spirit in this body metaphor. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were all called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. When the, when the New Testament talks about us being the body of Christ, it is always a call to unity, to be connected together, to stay together, that we all enter the body the same way. We are meant to have a unity of mind and of purpose. And that, that hierarchies are t- torn down. You read about that in Ephesians 2, Galatians 3, there's you know, neither male nor female, neither Jew or Greek, that all of these, these barriers are torn down. That, that the barriers between uh, the Jewish people, like we talked about last week, and, and, and the Gentiles, all the nations, that's torn down through the body of Christ crucified on the cross. And that he has now made one new humanity, that he has united us together. He calls us to remain together. A pastor out of Nashville named Scott Sauls wrote, We didn't choose one another, but we have been given to one another by our Father in heaven, who intends for us to stay together and not hit the eject button when things get difficult or irritating or boring. When the New Testament calls us the body of Christ, it calls us to unity. But it's not a unity that obliterates the individual. It's, it, it is, there's always an influ, uh, uh, a theme as well that we're not identical. 
That we are the body of Christ, but the members of that body are not identical. And so it is also a call to diversity. That there are many different parts in the body. That the focus in many of these body of Christ passages is that there are different spiritual gifts that the God has distributed amongst his body. You see, we are different in so many ways. We all have different life stories and experiences, different ages and genders and innate abilities and personalities and spiritual gifts and context. You, you live where you live and you work where you live and you go to school where you go to school. And, that's, and, and so the, the stories and the, the, the makeup of the body is of many distinct individuals. And so while we are united as one, as a body, we belong to Christ and we belong to one another and we, we are most fully ourselves when we are in Christ and with each other, but this is a unity that doesn't obliterate our identity as individuals. Right? As 1 Corinthians 12, 19, if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Right? It's... A body isn't made up of all fingers or all toes or all knees or all hearts. It's that a body requires different parts with different functions. And the diversity in the body actually is meant to lead us to unity. Ephesians 4. Again, that's one of the body passages. We didn't read it yet, but... He himself, God, gave some to be apostles and prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Some people call this apest, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. There's diversity, diverse gifts or diverse offices, diverse functions, diverse roles. We all have different parts to play, right? Diversity. There's some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith. So that diversity of gifting, that diversity of calling, that diversity of experience and diversity of abilities and experiences is meant to lead to unity. And diversity that leads to unity is beautiful. Unity in diversity is beautiful. We are meant to minister to each other as God has shaped us according to the life experiences, according to the gifting, according to the abilities, according to the training, according to the context in which we are all living, to minister to each other as God has shaped us so that we're all emerging, uh, uh, maturing, so that there would be a full complement of gifts at work in the body, given to the whole body for the maturing of the whole body. And so whether you... You serve the body of Christ by teaching kids or leading worship or hosting groups or serving lunches at funerals or visiting friends in the hospital. That diversity of gifting at work leads to unity that's beautiful. What do we call it? In, in the, I'm not musical. If you've heard me sing, you know that. But when, when, when you have different people all singing from the same songbook, but singing different parts, you have a beautiful harmony. Unity and diversity, when there's diversity with unity, it leads to beautiful harmony. A body needs each part functioning well. And so let me say to you, whoever you are, that your gifts are a God-given blessing 
that are meant to be used and exercised. And none of those gifts and none of those members are insignificant. Right? Verse 15, 1 Corinthians 12, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, is it for that reason any less a part of the body? It's none of the gifts are insignificant. They're all needed. And so there's no room for jealousy or envy or hierarchy. And all of those gifts are meant to contribute to the community so that together we become the fullness of Christ. No one has all the gifts. None of us have all the gifts. Although sometimes it's assumed that the pastor is supposed to do it all, a body that functions well doesn't ask people to serve the majority of their time outside of their spiritual gifting as to how God has called them. So do you know what your spiritual gifts are? We've taught, we taught extensively on spiritual gifts in spring of 2021. It's still on our website. If you weren't around back then, you, maybe you want to give that a listen. But do you know what your spiritual gifts are? You need to know what they are. So short form, read Romans 12. Read 1 Corinthians 12 and read Ephesians 4 and ask God, which, how have you gifted me? Because he said that he's gifted everyone. Every member of the body has been gifted with some spiritual gift or gifts. Then ask yourselves, what do you enjoy doing? What have you had blessing and fruitfulness? Because if you ask the Lord in honesty and with diligence, he, by his spirit, will reveal how he's gifted them, gifted you. And then use them in the context of the body of Christ, whether or not it's organizationally official or not. For us to learn how to use our spiritual gifts, to learn our gifting, and we also need to be a people who encourage one another. To be a people who call out the gifts and says, like, hey, when you, when you shared that word, that was really meaningful to me. When, when you visited me in the hospital, I was so encouraged by that. I was so helped. When you see a brother or sister, another member of the body operating in their gifting and you're blessed by it, encourage them in that. Tell them that. They won't get, they won't, maybe they will get proud, but don't. Sometimes we say, well, I don't want them to get too proud. I don't want to encourage them too often. How many, how many of us are over-encouraged these days? Right? Like, encourage one another. Call the gifts out. I see this in you. Especially if you're older, you've been around a long time, you've got some experience, you see some young people, tell them that. Call it out. I see this in you. Lead us in your gifts. Serve. We need the word gifts. The teaching and exhortation and prophetic and evangelistic and shepherding and leadership gifts. We need the love gifts, the, the mercy and helps and administration and giving and hospitality. We need the power gifts of faith and discernment and intercession and tongues and miracles and words of knowledge. We need all of the gifts at work for there to be harmony, unity, and diversity. So ask, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Does your calendar show that you're a part of a body? Some of you are new here. We want to say welcome. Welcome. And, 
when you're new, especially if you're maybe coming from another local church, we want to be a place of safety and of patience, low pressure. Again, often when you're having to switch churches, it's really painful and um, should be done with, with great, because of, because of the body nature of the church and some of the quotes I've even shared, we want to do that really carefully. And as pastors, we'd, we'd love to walk with you in that and even just to make sure you're doing that well. And so we would say this is low pressure, but high invitation. You're, you're welcome here. And you're welcome to begin to use your gifts right away if, you're, if, you're, if you want. You can jump right in. The body of Christ metaphor means that we ask, how can I contribute more than I, we ask, how can this church serve me? We want to be a people who both receive and give ministry. Some of us, we're, we're all about giving. I will... I will serve and serve and serve and give and give and give, but will receive? Ooh. I don't know. It takes humility. But all this to say, we don't aim to be a church where you come to receive gifts from a, a few limited number of people, but rather a church where anyone and everyone is using the gifts that God has arranged among us to build one another up. One more application. Unity, diversity, and harmony. Paul says, verse 26, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. For us to be a body means that we share in both the suffering and joys of one another. Best illustration uh, I can give is one you're going to have to do at home. So when you get home, I want you to go to your kitchen and open the drawer um, that has your cutlery in it. I want you to open it all the way up, and I want you to put your finger in it, and then slam it as hard as you can. And if you, if you do that, which I'm not advising, disclaimer, you'll find that your finger will hurt, but the rest of your body won't want to operate very well either. We are connected. We are vitally connected. We are bound together. We share in the pain of one another. We share in the pain of loved ones who have passed away. We share in the suffering of sickness and hardships of life. Those that are obvious and seen and, and those that are maybe a little bit less obvious. Like the pain of loved ones who are making self-destructive choices. That's a, that's a pain that is almost unmatched. but not so obvious, too. The pain of parents seeing children 
squander their lives, making choices that are harmful. The pain of a spouse making destructive choices. When one member suffers, we all suffer along with it. And so we aim to be a church where it's safe to share in our suffering. Where you're, if you're suffering, you don't have to stay away. And you don't have to pretend that you're a happy, shiny person. We want to be a church that bears one another's burdens, that shares in sufferings together and enjoys together as well. That we share the joy. That we don't have to be embarrassed for the joy that we can experience in life. So as we close this morning, I just want to acknowledge that living into the body metaphor will not come naturally to us. That living into unity and diversity leading to harmony will not come naturally to us. Probably, I say this humbly but cautiously, probably more so than at any time in history because we would be, like sociologists would say that we are the most radically individualistic culture that's ever existed. We're a culture where the autonomous individual is ultimate. Where the individual and the individual alone has the right to choose. To choose their morality, to choose their truth, to choose beliefs, to choose what... And, and that the extent of your responsibility is, is, to, the, is to your own happiness. A culture that teaches, I am my own authority. And that freedom is to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Our culture trains us to take offense regardless of what the other intended. It's, it's all about how did what you say or what you do impact me rather than how what, uh, actually learning what you intended by your actions and your words. We're trained to assume the worst, to trust our feelings, to not give one another the benefit of the doubt, to not give one another unconditional positive regard. And so for us to live at this moment in history, to live out unity, diversity, and harmony, it will take intentional commitment from us. It will take commitment that is reinforced both by teaching and by our practices, by our way of life. That we will need to make choices to honor one another, to prioritize one another, to invite one another in, into the center, come, join us, to, to, to take intentionality to, to discover our gifts and then to use them, not for ourselves, but to use them for the common good. But if we do... We will be a beautiful witness in the world. A world that's so polarized and fractured. A, a, a world of outrage. A world of where we're constantly taking offense. We could be a community, a light in this world. To say, this is, how, this is what God intended for us. This is what our maker means for us. To be unified and diverse. To be harmonious, to honor one another, to prioritize one another. If we would lean into this, we would actually be the answer to Jesus' prayer. 
Because Jesus prayed for his followers that would, that would believe on him through the word of, his, of, of his, the witness of his apostles. He prayed in John 17 that, that all who would come to believe in him would be one. And what was the outcome of that oneness? So that the world would know that you, Father, love them, the world, just as you love me. The unity of the church and the diversity, the individuality and the harmony would, is so that the world would know that God loves them and invites them in. And so we need the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is beyond this little family here, this local church too. We need the, the body of Christ in various expressions. And so wholeheartedly and enthusiastically, we pray blessing on churches of other denominations and traditions and other distinctives and actually think that our wit- the witness in the world of Pentecostals and Baptists and Lutherans and Charismatics and Anglicans and whoever is, is that can actually be better if we rally together and say, yeah, we have differences. We worship differently. We believe some things differently. But, but to get, ultimately, we're one in the body of Christ. And it's beyond just the denominational distinctives and the local church distinctives. It's, it's also a global church. The body of Christ is global. And so we need to, to, to serve and to give and, and minister to believers in other parts of the world and to receive from them, to be ministered to by them. We need the generosity and the humility for that ministry to go both ways. And that's why we, that's why we get involved around the world and why we encourage not just involvement and not just cutting checks, but actually going and meeting and befriending and being served by and being taught by believers in other cultures and languages and people groups so that we would all mature and grow until we attain that maturity in the fullness of Christ. body of Christ is a beautiful metaphor. I hope I've touch the surface of that. But let's, let's lean into that. It, it, it means living life with that, with that understanding that we're connected, that we're, the, that we're not the lone ranger out there, just out on, out on our own, on an island unto ourselves. Let's lean into one another. Let's learn from one another. Let's serve one another. Let's be served by one another. Let's encourage one another so that the world would know that there is a God who is alive and active in this world, who's moving among a people, and who loves them and invites them in to experience life, life from the head, who is Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have united us together, that we're not on our own. And yet, our faith is, is, is personal, like you, you know us as individuals, you love us personally, we relate to you personally, but our faith isn't private and isolated, we have one another, we, we can relate with one another and relate with you, and that's in that we find the, the life that you intend for us. So give us wisdom 
Would you reveal to us how we can use our gifts to build up the body of Christ at Cornerstone Community Church, the Church of Niagara, and your global body so that, so that Lord, your church would be a picture to the world of just how much you love them. So Holy Spirit, lead us, give us encouragement and encouragement for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand if you're able? We want to respond in worship and praise to the truth. We love, we can love one another because God loved us first. We serve one another because Christ served us. We can have unity because God is three in one. God is one God.